Despite a couple inappropriate scenes, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle is an entertaining movie that explores teamwork, courage, and the importance of living your life with purpose. Are you just watching? Are you just watching episode 77, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we have both gone to and enjoyed the movie Jumanji. I believe we've both seen the original too yep. long, long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have rewatched it before watching this one, I think. Yeah, yeah I think I should have too. I didn't really realize that how much of a sequel it was. I just thought it was kind of like a remake, and so I didn't refresh my memory of the old movie, which I probably should have now. It's, it's interesting it. you mentioned that, because some of the reviews I read uh, actually pointed out how little of a sequel there was, and I disagreed with them there, too. I think yeah. <laughs> I think there's quite a bit tying in here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I There were parts of it where I go, what? Who? When? Uh-huh. So that that is just one of those things, you know, you kind of like, oh, I'll kick myself. I should have done that. And then I was, you know, in researching for this, I found out the original was based on a book. So now I need to go find the book and read the book. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought the book, I, I saw something about the book, but I thought it was a movie adaptation no it, but, the uh, movie was based on the book yeah yeah hey amazon knows where it is <laughs> so does goodreads goodreads is a wonderful site for that kind of thing yeah well maybe we'll look it up someday but yep. it has nothing to do with this movie because this movie was not based on the book the original movie was and this movie was completely different okay all right <laughs> jumanji welcome to the jungle starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, uh, Jack Black, and Karen Gillen. Gillen? Gillen? Yeah. <laughs> it's, my problem with Karen, uh, with her, is I always say Gillian. Yeah, you want to stick a, an extra I in there. Yeah, and I, I type L's it out that there. way, too. Yeah. <laughs> Had to go back and correct all my notes. <laughs> I think we both can say we liked it. It was yeah, entertaining. It is an entertaining movie. It is not a yes. deep... <laughs> No, it's not a deep movie. It definitely has a message, but it's not a deep movie. Uh, it's hard to to do a story without having some kind of message to it, and we'll get we'll talk about that in a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, just to kind of preserve some no spoiler zone, we'll just talk in general just for a few minutes because it it is still technically in theaters, though not every is, theater. Yeah, yeah, it's falling out of theaters now. We're getting kind of a late start on this, which to you know, to be honest, I think that's fine. It gives everybody a chance to have seen the movie before yep. we talk about it. And we don't like to spoil a movie, but the whole point of our podcast is not to just give a general review that people are going to listen to and then go see a movie. It's to catch them after they've seen it. So right. hopefully everybody listening has seen the movie, but we we won't discuss any um, spoilers for at least for a few minutes. <laughs> not a lot of spoilers in this movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, the... There are a couple, but nothing major. Mm-hmm. The score is by Henry Jackman, and I can't remember. I'd have to look him up to find out what all. I know we've done a score by him before. To be honest, I thought that the music just seamlessly blended with the movie. I, it didn't stand out in a good way or a bad way. Mm-hmm. To me, that's actually an indication of a good soundtrack, a good score. If it just, you don't notice it, <laughs> you would notice if it was missing. But if you don't notice it, it, it was pretty seamless. It- The game portion of the movie was filmed in Hawaii. I thought that was kind of a nice little yeah. uh, trivia fact. Same place as Lost, if I remember correctly. The same island. Huh. Same island? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of untouched jungle in Hawaii. If I were to ever visit Hawaii, which I've never been, I think I would probably want to spend more time in jungle mountains than beach. I'm just not a beach person, but um, they... They make it look very interesting in this movie. It always looks gorgeous on screen, but, you know, that's their job, yeah. so... <laughs> yeah. Good scouting of locations. <laughs> there is some language in this movie. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time counting it up, but uh, you can check out the plugged-in review. I'm sure they did. Yep, they did. And the sexual humor, 
uh, I went with a friend who was actually very turned off by the sexual humor. She was talking about how there were so many people in her life she couldn't take uh, to see this movie because of the sexual humor. And it didn't bother me as much because I thought it it was obviously there for a reason. And we'll get into that a little later. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can see why this would it would make it not appropriate for a certain age group. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I do want to I want to point out the difference here between the humor, the sexual humor in this movie was not all sex it was no you know it, it body parts <laughs> yeah it, it was more a borderline locker room humor yeah i think it's important to point that out because of the targeted audience mm-hmm. and it plugged in points this out but uh the targeted audience with this one is is young teens and preteens it, it's uh this one's pg-13 i think yeah that would be yeah not preteens that would be young teens and up yeah because 13 is teen i don't know about your viewing but in my viewing there were uh, a lot of younger kids in yeah there. six yeah. six and up probably even yeah. younger than that we just didn't notice but uh i think it for parents of young children you'll want to take a moment to discuss the use of uh excuse me for parents of any children not just <laughs> young children you want to take a moment to discuss the use of language and the humor that they use because it is funny. It is funny, yeah. But it may not be appropriate. Yeah, and I think some of that humor could have been left out of the movie, and it would have not Agreed. been missed. Yeah, yep. and we'll we'll get it. We'll we'll talk about that. It's a specific scene we're talking about, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that again later. But yeah, just use a, a little bit of uh, discretion. Uh, it, this was definitely not the same target audience I think as the original movie was. Uh, it's a little older target audience, which. To me, I guess, kind of makes sense. I mean, we've all grown up since then. Yeah. When the first movie came out, those of us who watched it when it came out were much older now. And But it's not something you would take your young kids to, at least in my opinion. Yeah. The two protagonists in the original movie before Williams was introduced in the storyline, uh, mm-hmm. they were, what, 12 and 10, right? Yeah, something like so, that. You know, that, that general age range. So it, I think you're right. I think it was targeted at younger viewers. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. family still, viewers. Yeah, fan, it was it was kind of like a family movie, which this one is more like a, I don't know, a high school drama kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> it did have a lot of high school drama in it, actually. Yes, it did. Yeah, it did have a lot. It's kind of almost the underlying theme. <laughs> to be honest, I don't have a long list of likes and dislikes about mm-hmm. this movie. It it was, like I said, entertaining, had an inter- inappropriate scene or two that was not sexual it it was just inappropriate right and the language there were a few instances where the language got a little bad uh other than that this movie was very entertaining and i enjoyed watching it yeah yeah i i consider this a good popcorn flick you know it, yeah as long as you go not expecting uh <laughs> oscar quality performances it, it's it really is just a romp um yeah. in particular i liked the uh the way that uh, the four main actors, the four adult actors, Dwayne Johnson, otherwise known as The Rock, uh, uh-huh. Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and uh, Karen, Karen Gillen. Gillen. Gillen, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and um, and we can't also forget Nick Jonas because he's uh, in there too. Yeah, it, he, yeah. Although, you know, I don't feel like he was part of the ensemble, I don't think. Yeah. Um, he. They left him out of the previews, and I understand um, from some of the stuff I read that a lot of the, the Jonas Brothers uh, fans were very upset um, that he was not in any of the previews. But it was a, it was a, there was a good reason. For yeah, it was a strategic <laughs> review. Well, uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, we're getting yeah. a little bit into spoilers there, but uh, yeah. Sorry, guys, if you haven't seen it, uh, I apologize. Well, we haven't said what he appears as. So. Uh, true. Um, <laughs> it was strategic. It was a strategic yes. choice, and I see what they're, mm-hmm. where they're going with that. Um, right. I liked the way that Johnson Hart Black and Gillen interacted on screen. Mm-hmm. I, they felt like a, like a cohesive group at mm-hmm. the end. Um, but uh, I got the impression that it was a dir- by directive of uh, you know the director rather than by the uh, the story or the actors. It just the way it felt to me. Yeah, I also liked how the movie sort of walked that thin line between uh, what I considered it to be the ridiculous plot of the video game because so many video games are, um, but. <laughs> 
you know, they still sort of made it feel real for the characters because there there was a sense of uh, urgency and and uh, consequence um, mm-hmm. that they that they maintained, and I felt like that was well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that said, though, I feel like the movie missed its mark as far as a balance between you know movie fun and message. Mm-hmm. I felt like particularly taking into account the. Uh, the cast interviews that I that I watched and what have you, um, I felt like they were going for more message that was sort of lost. Yeah, I I don't know. I I kind of feel like this kind of movie, like as I said earlier, every movie has you know some kind of a message, and the strength of the message is determined by I guess how how strongly the creators of the movie feel about it. Yep. And I think it sometimes the message can can come across too strongly. And we've, we've discussed some movies in the past where the message took predominance and Mm -hmm. that that's actually detrimental to the story and to the entertainment value of the movie. And I think this movie, I think it was a good balance because the type of movie it was, it needed to have a higher movie fun, higher entertainment value than it needed a message value. Yeah, And the fact that, that you can find the message in the movie means that they were able to speak their mind on the message without overpowering what you went to see the movie for. Yeah, that I see where you're going with that. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So I think it was a good balance in that the message was not overpowering. It was there, but it wasn't overpowering. And, and you went out going, that was a fun movie. I think in general terms, when they can make the movie appear in the trailers and the, you know, the advertising to be a romp, but sort of spring the message on you, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the most powerful use of the media Mm -hmm. or the medium, medium, yeah, medium, but... Uh, I think that's also the most dangerous because mm-hmm. if you agree with the message, then you feel vindicated. If you mm-hmm. disagree with the message, then you feel insulted. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. both generate, you know, buzz. So I prefer subtle messages, but that's actually kind of um, what we are. Why why we do what we do here mm-hmm. is the subtle messages are the ones that are the the most um, deceptive, I guess. Well, they can kind of sneak up on you and you're not even aware that you're being influenced to believe something. And when they're real obvious, it's real easy. You can go, oh, well, that's that's what they were trying to say. Like, let's take, for instance, Avatar. Avatar mm. had a really strong message. And <laughs> you could it, say that. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. But but the issue was it was so poorly implemented that, you know, everybody walks around going Avatar had a really strong message, you know, mm-hmm. Um the movie kind of lost its impact visually and story-wise because everything about the movie was to hammer home their message. Yep. And I don't think that that's what, personally, I don't think that's what movies should be. And I don't, I don't think books should be that way either. If if it's a subtle message, though, it can be almost as dangerous because then you walk away thinking what they want you to think without realizing that they've changed your mind on something. And that's where they're really when it's really powerful. Yeah. And, um, and this movie, this this movie didn't either. It it kind of struck a happy medium in which the story, the entertainment value of the story was very high. There was a message. It wasn't a bad message, and it wasn't subtle, but it wasn't over the top. Hit you over the head with it until mm-hmm. you're like, ah, stop, stop, stop! I get it already. You know. Yeah. But if you keep listening, uh, we're gonna go into spoiler realm now yeah let's (laughs) let's leave let's leave the spoiler free section of our podcast yes so if you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want it ruined uh this is a time to stop go see the movie and then come back and finish we we want you to come back because this is where our deep discussion pops in yeah and it it really we look at it from the christian worldview and it you can't really discuss this movie most movies for that matter (laughs) Um, without getting into the uh, into the spoiler section. Yeah. Well, since we're now n- not worried about spoilers, the message that we were talking about was teamwork, <laughs> which tends to be a pretty. Uh, it recurs a lot uh-huh. in family films. Yes. Honestly, I'm getting a little tired of it, but I think it's 
I don't think we can avoid it because, you know, we predominantly, not exclusively, but we predominantly uh, do family oriented films in uh, Are You Just Watching? So we're going to see it a lot, uh, especially with superhero films. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing about this one with the target audience that we were talking about being teenagers, I think that it's a valuable message because the whole point of this movie is taking four characters that have really very little in common and pushing them together and forcing them to work together. And that is that is life. I mean, we're always forced to work together. So it's a it's a life skill that all teenagers need to learn. And perhaps by, you know, as old and wise as we are, (laughs) we're we're tired (laughs) of hearing that message. (laughs) But it's something that that age group really needs to have hammered home. And so I can see why so many movies targeted that age group have that as a yeah. thing. It's something they need to learn. Yeah, it's, it's certainly true. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to teamwork, it, the element of this movie where the teamwork plays in is for the teamwork to happen, it really has to overcome the, the hangups of the personalities of the, the four main characters. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, one of them is a narcissist. One of them is uh, is obsessed with with sports and and his social standing. One is a militant introvert. Yeah, militant. <laughs> in, that's an excellent way to put it. I, I was going to almost emo, but not quite. You know, but militant introvert is is perfect. Uh, and the last one is uh, so stereotypical a nerd. Nerd. <laughs> Um, but, uh, he even calls himself that at some yeah. point in the movie. Yeah. But that's okay. Cause you know, yeah. nerd, nerd's not bad. Yeah. Um, but he's, his, you and I were probably nerds. I'm, I am definitely, I'm both nerd and geek. I used to have a, uh, a jacket that said computer geek, <laughs> but his thing, his hang up isn't being a nerd. His hang-up is um, focusing, overly focusing, not quite obsessing, on regaining a lost friendship mm-hmm. to the point of... Being like the little lost puppy. Take me home, take me home, yeah. take me home. <laughs> his moral compass is... Uh, he's letting his moral compass be uh, overwhelmed by his desire to reclaim this friendship. Mm-hmm. It's these hang-ups that prevent them from being a team. Yeah. But... Here's where I want to uh, disagree a little bit is when the movie plays out, I really don't feel like they were a team. I feel like they were complementary, that their skill set was complementary. They were forced to work together because they each had a strength and a weakness. Uh, I thought it was very interesting that Martha's uh, character, Ruby Roundhouse, that Mm. her her, um, weakness actually was used as a strength so it it's just one of those situations where they each had to work within the the games what was what was her listed weakness i don't remember in venom venom that's right yeah i don't remember all of them but i remember hers because it was so short (laughs) her only weakness was venom (laughs) unlike cake (laughs) (laughs) you know i it's stupid but yeah. that's what makes it funny. <laughs> yeah. That, um, it, and since we're out of the spoiler section, there's a scene where completely irregardless of the process of the movie, and it never comes back into play, he takes a piece of, of what looks like on screen to be bread and takes a bite. And then he says, wait, did you call this cake? And then he blows <laughs> up. <laughs> this is uh, Kevin Hart's character. And it never comes back into the movie. I sort of wonder as if it was a setup for uh, Martha's character later on that using that venom, like uh, that you mentioned, as mm-hmm. as a uh, strength instead as a strength. of strength. Yeah. Yeah. At, when there was that blow up scene, I, I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, they're going to use that as a uh, as a way to uh, to defeat people you know, defeat the uh-huh. enemy, but they never did. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, I just thought that was very interesting, you know, how they, the strengths and the weaknesses, and they ended up using them a little bit. I yeah, mean, it wasn't... I'm sorry. Real quick, back to what I wanted to get to about the teamwork was they used their skills 
complementary. Mm-hmm. But part of being on a team is an understanding of that complementary nature and applying mm-hmm. those skills in such a way that that you want to be complementary and you intend for them to be complementary. Being a team is not is not just complementary skill sets and using them for your own designs in a complementary way. It's about having a a goal that involves the good of the team. And I, I don't know. Well, I think inside- the more I explain it, the more I see where I'm wrong in the movie. Yeah. But I really I came out of the movie not feeling like they were a team. Well, the thing I think the thing is, is that they were a team, but they were a team with a specific goal that had to be reached by a specific player in the team. So it all looked like they were supporting one particular person. And so that kind of maybe pulled away from the teamness. And then, yeah. But when you see them after they're out of the game, I think that they had pulled together some. Uh, I don't know that they were actually a team anymore, but they, they're actual people. The actual kids had pulled together. They had overseen their differences and pulled together as a group. Mm. I, I think the lesson wasn't necessarily that you have to always be a team it's that you have to allow other people to help you overcome your weaknesses so that you know it's that complementary nature of of seeing because like there was a really good discussion and i wish i'd gotten it taking notes in the movie is so hard yeah yeah it is there was this really great discussion between bethany and martha where uh they're kind of hitting each other at their at their weak spots, not their characters, not their avatars' weak spots, but their own weak, weak spots. Mm-hmm. Because Martha's calling Bethany self-absorbed, and Bethany is calling Martha judgy, and and so there's this whole discussion going back and forth about why they are the way they are, and and in the bad way. And I just thought that that was an it was a very good dialogue. I wish I'd gotten it all down because it really pointed out the fact that they. Even though they were characters, avatars in this game, they were still the people that they were in high school. And they were having to deal not just with a a list of strengths and a list of weaknesses that their avatar had. They were having to deal with their own strengths and their own weaknesses. Um, Because, like, Martha had to be sexy and she had no clue how to do it, you know. Yeah. And and it created a great deal of humor to have Bethany in this, you know, middle-aged man body trying to explain to this girl in a sexy body how to be sexy. And it created a great deal of humor. But it was, you know, that was her hang-up because that's not her self-image. And so she was having to um, work through a self-image problem. You know, I, I just thought it was it was very interesting the way they used the avatars. But at the same time, the people inside the avatars were still themselves. And they were dealing with their own hangups and their own problems. So uh, I I wanted to uh, I wanted to look at what the characters came out of the entire experience, having learned, and compare them to you know biblical principles. It, I was I was focusing on fruits of the spirit because that seemed like the logical one to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it may not be. Um, it, you know the the teens. The teen minds behind the physical avatars uh, came out learning, uh, having learned friendship, trust, uh, self-reliance, courage, courage, teamwork. But how biblical are these lessons? I mean, is self-reliance really a biblical lesson? I don't think Mm -hmm. it is. No, it isn't. But, you know, how would Hollywood without you know a ram it down your throat christian movie mm-hmm. how would they project this kind of thing because let's look at self-reliance uh particularly um who is it uh martha's character mm-hmm. um you know she she learns her inner power uh she learns that she's not incapable of doing stuff that she felt she was incapable of doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is some goodness, there is some good elements to it, but it's not completely true for uh, Bible-believing Christians. Because we're not, outside of God, we're not capable. Right. The unbelieved are not able to not sin. Well, the thing is, is that that is... uh 
probably the biggest Hollywood, you're fond of the word trope. To me, it's the biggest Hollywood trope. Self-reliance. Yeah. Well, to self-reliance, to trust your own heart, to, Hmm. um, you know, to find that strength within and to overcome your difficulties. That's every, that's a fallback. That's an almost, I mean, you could probably find it in pretty much every Hollywood movie show. Uh, It's, it's, to me, that is the biggest part of the difference between a Christian worldview and a secular worldview is that we don't believe in relying on ourselves, that our heart will fail us, that our uh, will lead us astray and that our strength will fail us at the at times when we need it the most. And that's why we have to have God in our lives. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we can't expect that worldview from a secular movie. We just can't. It's one of the hardest things for a believing Christian to embrace, let alone a secular world. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> we it, Christian men it, and uh, Focusing just on, you know, what I feel I can speak to here. Christian men wake up every morning and we should be praying, God, help me to rely on you and not Mm -hmm. my own strength. Mm -hmm. I dare say it's impossible for us to do outside of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. For the secular world to even see this desire to put self-reliance behind us as, as a, you know a deceit of Satan mm-hmm. is impossible for them. I think this reliance on God is one of the biblical truths that it is impossible for this secular world to embrace. Well, yeah, but I think it's interesting that in this movie, it isn't just self-reliance. It's reliance on those around you as well, because yeah. um, there, the Alex's character who comes in kind of in the middle of the movie Uh, He's been trying to get out of this game. He's been trying to win the objective of the game by himself. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't know how long, but it's been 20 years. And he's been stuck in this game because he's all by himself and he needs the team to do it. He's he's stuck at a, a certain part and he can't get past it. And so I think that there is an aspect of this movie that where self reliance doesn't work. But uh, I see. Yeah. um, Because it's, it's not just self reliance. It's, uh, teamwork and the need to have other people to fill in your weaknesses, to to stand in the gap with you. And uh, I think that that was very strong in this movie, um, probably even more than the self-reliance, though it's in there. Yeah, no, it, you, you are absolutely correct. And uh, I think it's particularly interesting to me because while the self-reliance that Martha learns is anti-biblical, the reliance on the people around us is completely biblical. We are, uh, as members of the body of Christ, we are expected to hold each other accountable, to build each other up. Mm-hmm. And, and not um, push each other off the cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, let each other be run down by rhinos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, but... Uh, the element of of working as one body, uh, which is of course the with this, which is synonymous of teamwork, mm-hmm. uh, is completely biblical. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I bring this up is uh, I'm going to reference Galatians five twenty two and twenty three. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. The law is not against such things. How much of the common things that Hollywood pushes are actually, can can you draw a direct line back to a fruit of the spirit versus something that is anti-biblical, like the common message of, I can do it if I just try hard enough? Well, I think that, I think that that's kind of answered in scripture too, because it says that the law is written upon our hearts. I mean, Paul said that over and over again, that mm-hmm. even, even people who don't know God, know God, even though they, they claim they don't know God, even though they claim there isn't a God, they still know God. And there is an aspect of the world's morality that is fundamental. It's the law written on their hearts. So there are always going to be themes that you could tie in biblically and they could still be completely wrong. Like in this instance, we're saying that they're relying on each other. They're still not relying on God. 
So you can't say that it's completely biblical, you know, their teamwork is completely biblical because it isn't. They're still relying uh, on their the frailty of humanity. They still don't have God involved. You you can say that there's something biblical there, and yet there not be anything biblical there. They're just, you know, still doing what is right in their own eyes. Yeah. The other, the one I brought up when you were listing lessons they learned was courage. I think that courage has a big aspect to play in uh, Spencer's character because Mm -hmm. being the nerd he is, he has absolutely no courage whatsoever. And he gets pulled into the game with the avatar. It has no weaknesses. He's supposed to be the one in control, the one doing all of the bravery and he's not brave. And so he has to learn courage. And, and I feel like of all of the things that any of the characters learn, that's probably the easiest to apply as a Christian Mm -hmm. because we are all extremely, extremely, well, I don't say we all, I know I am extremely scared to witness and to stand boldly for Christ. And it's, it's just so easy to do in our States. I mean, where we live, where we, where we live in a country where it's free to, we're free to be a Christian and we don't have to worry about being beheaded or burned at the stake or crucified or uh, any of the many horrible ways that Christians are dying in other countries in the world today. And yet I'm still scared to speak out. And I need the boldness of Christ in me to know that I can, not on my own strength, but to stand and and boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ without fear. Yeah. We have with us the creator of heaven and earth. Yeah. Uh, Psalm uh, 121, 1 through 3, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes Mm -hmm. from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will right. not let your foot be moved. He who mm-hmm. keeps you will not slumber. Right. So it, we really, it, we really shouldn't. And you know that's just as difficult as the comment I made earlier, where we should be praying not to rely on ourselves. Right. Exactly. And to be bold for Christ. Yeah. And and I think that leads into the next section of discussion really well because one of the things that is really pushed part of the message in this movie that's pushed really hard is the fact that these kids are facing, you know, their, their future and they're in high school and they're making decisions, some of them that are not good for their future. And so they've all been sent to detention and the principal or the teacher, I'm not sure whether it's a principal or a teacher at this point, mm-hmm. makes a comment. And I, this is a, a rough, I, I don't know that I got this statement right because I was trying to take notes and it went way too fast. <laughs> but he said, think about who you are and who you want to be. You get one life and you have to decide. And I think it was something to the order of what you want to do with it. And that came forward again later on in the plot of the of the game, actually, uh, because each avatar has three lives in the game and they each get killed at least two times. So when when the game is over, they're all on their last life. And, the you know, this thing they keep pushing over and over again is is that you only have one life and you have to figure out what you're going to do with it and there was a a dialogue um between Spencer and Fridge because Spencer lost faith and he lost courage he was down to his one life mm-hmm. and he's like um he says it's easy to be a hero when you have life's despair it's a lot harder when you have just one and Fridge replies but we only have one life that's how it really is and when when they came to that part in the movie, I was like, yeah, that's how it really is. We don't get to try things over and over again until we get them right. We're, we're living this one life for Christ. And there's there's actually a verse that that ties into. Um, it's Hebrews 9, uh, 27 through 28. It says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So it. It's the beginning of that that's important. It's like it's appointed for us to die once. And we don't know when that death is coming. And we have to live our lives to the fullest and and for the glory of God because we have no idea when it's going to end. I think this is a lesson that that these teens are learning because they do have lives to kind of throw away in the game. But in real life, they don't. And so they're going to have to to start making wiser decisions. And that applies to everybody. Yeah. You know, it's something as a parent, I, I was desperate to communicate to my, my children as they were going mm-hmm. through school. 
And mm-hmm. uh, uh, as desperate as I was, I really felt like that the nature of being a teenager was to uh-huh. resist that desperation, resist that message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the stronger I push, the stronger they push back type thing. <laughs> The uh, the focus on the lives in uh, in the movie, I think, was uh, was particularly interesting, and and you know it brought to mind uh, and your section title uh, here in our notes uh, brought to mind that whole YOLO thing. You know, you only mm-hmm. live once, uh, which drives me absolutely batty because you don't only live once. Mm-hmm. The lives we live on this earth. They're not even the goal. Mm-hmm. They're the opportunity right? to set up eternity. Don't squander your existence. Yeah. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Matthew six nineteen through 21. Exactly. And the whole idea behind YOLO is to lay up treasures on earth. Right. Or it's it's more of the uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die philosophy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's a whole gladiatorial thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, the whole thing with three lives in the game uh, is very interesting to me, um, mostly because, and I, I've mentioned this before, we, uh, my Wednesday night community group, we've been going through Romans, and uh, Romans uh, 5, 7 for me has just seemed so out of place in Romans for me. Um, he's talking about how Christ died for the ungodly when when the time was right. And then in Romans 5, 7, he says, For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. And I believe what he's doing, and uh, commentaries seem to go both ways on it, but I believe what he's doing is he's drawing a comparison between Christ dying for every bad person in compared to in real life what we will see is, you know, People won't even die <laughs> mm-hmm. for good people. Yeah. The normal person won't even die uh, under normal circumstances. Um, though, you know, I resist that just a little bit because being a vet, you know, I think of all the the men and women uh, who raised their hand and swore the oath. Mm-hmm. But uh, really what it comes down to is if I'm walking on the street next to a person that I I know absolutely nothing about, a complete stranger, and have the opportunity to push them out of the way of a speeding vehicle but have to sacrifice myself, it would be difficult to do. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you don't have time to think about it. So I guess it really comes down to what your instinct is to do. Because in a situation like that, you don't have time to, to rationalize it. You know, am I going to put myself at risk for this person that I don't even know? Yeah. The focus on the three lives, uh, I I like in the movie how they uh, start using those lives strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I really wish that they had focused a little bit more on that last life. Uh, the, mm-hmm. Well, you know, they did. They really did. And the, the, scene, you, Alex- the scene you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, was a perfect example of it. That and Alex, the fact that he had been there hoarding his last life for 20 years. Yep. I think they brought that home over and over again. He's like, I tried twice and I died twice and I am i can't try again. And then he was terrified to go with them because he was afraid he was going to die. Yeah, he hit out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that that is, you know, you, you get to that last life and then none of them were sure what would happen. You know, if they died in the game, did they die for real? So I think, and they never really answered that question either. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't answer that question, but I think, I think the fact that they don't answer it, I think is a intention uh, for something I want to get to a little bit later on, which is what is, what is Jumanji? Mm-hmm. Um, but let's come back to that later. Before I went to see the movie, uh, I was I I kind of watch uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, Answers in Genesis does this Answers News. Um, they put it on twice a week, 
and Ken Ham noted, had mentioned uh, just kind of somewhat in passing while they were discussing another agenda item, um, the, the transgender agenda as portrayed in Jumanji. And we'll put a link to the um, video where mm. he does that in the in the show notes. But I was a little taken back by that because, well, number one, I hadn't seen the movie yet. And number two, I really when I did see the movie, I didn't really see that in there. And so I was I was kind of intrigued the fact that some people thought that uh, Bethany being transported into a male avatar in the game was a I don't know it. it some people would see that as being a promotion of transgenderism. I don't think it was. I, I know that it it comes as Christians that we're we're really trying to be sensitive to um, what's being promoted t- today in our society, uh, and transgender is definitely a hot topic right now. Yeah, but I don't think that that's where they were going with what they did in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it would be interesting to discuss that from from you know was it body swap? Was it a transgender agenda? I don't think the movie producers, writers, directors, or actors were even thinking transgender at this point. What do you What One, do you think? One hundred percent agree with with where you're going. I yeah. I feel like if they were pushing even subtly uh, an LGBTQ agenda at all, uh, there would have been a different feel to it. I really feel like the movie was simply going for a classic gender difference locker room humor. Yeah. I mean, there's been whole movies based on that. Yeah. You know, where, uh, and I don't, I, I just really feel like they were going in it for the, the cheap humor. Yeah. And um, in this instance, it really is kind of cheap humor because earlier on in this episode where we were talking about the inappropriateness, mm-hmm. it was this body swap humor specifically that was inappropriate at times. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie where one of them decides, oh man, I really got to go to the bathroom. And that leads into this entire scene of Bethany not knowing uh, the mechanics of how that works. Right. (laughs) And there's a bunch of and we got to keep this discussion PGs. So. Yeah, there's a bunch of off-screen commentary of oh that is so cool or uh, uh so now what do I do and stuff like that. Yeah. Which I honestly I think the film could have been almost completely unaffected by leaving that entire scene out. Um I think think they could have left the characters completely androgynous in a video game character way. Yeah, uh, you know where they are masculine and feminine in their appearance and actions, stop. but they don't need <laughs> they don't need to focus on the organs the way they they did with the yeah. uh, the humor of that scene. Yeah, I mean, it's it, when you're playing a video game, your your char- your avatars don't take a a potty break, right? So it didn't seem like it was extremely necessary, and I have to admit, I laughed. It was mm-hmm. funny. The person I was with did not laugh. She mm. she sat stoically through the whole thing. She saw no humor in it whatsoever. So yeah, I can I can see, you know, where they were going with that. I don't think it was really necessary. Maybe maybe that's exactly what they were pointing out was in video games. I've recently been playing through a PS4 game called Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. and the protagonist is a seventeen year old girl. She's right on you know on that line. Mm-hmm. And there's never consideration for needs like eating, sleeping, mm-hmm. or facilities or anything like that. You know, that's sort of a common commentary mm-hmm. <laughs> is uh, video game characters aren't real because they don't have to worry about that kind of thing. So maybe that's where they were going Yeah, with this scene was a commentary on the fact that video game characters don't need to worry about this. And these are real people behind these avatars mm-hmm. uh, but again i don't think they needed to do it in the way they did it yeah and maybe and maybe ken ham's comment came more from the fact that a male actor could channel a, a female so well i mean when you're watching the movie there it's never outside of your mind the fact that jack black is bethany and so he does an extremely good job <laughs> of channeling a uh what 17 year old 16 year old girl jack black he does effeminate to comic effect mm-hmm. and uh it, he does it throughout the whole movie he does it fairly well mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. It's, and they... And maybe that's where Ken's comment came from. I don't know. I just know that, that I don't think that there was a transgender uh, agenda to the movie. Yeah. The fact that, that Bethany is in a male body and as an avatar, it, it is, and then they kind of poke fun of it because when they're picking the avatar, she's saying she's going to be the curvaceous and sexy Professor Shelley Oberon. Yeah. They specifically use gender neutral name and description there. Uh-huh. And Shelly is typically a female name, and so she went for that and and missed being the femme fatale, which ends up being the, the last character left, which uh, Martha gets by default because they they drag her into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that, that the humor there was, was it, it was intentional for the humor's sake, but I don't think there was an agenda behind it. And we can yep. pretty much leave it at that because I, I don't want to get into any kind of discussion about transgenderism right now. It's no argument there. Um, yeah. I did want to touch on this emphasize for me. It, Ken Ham is, is somebody that, that I don't, I, I agree with about half the time normally, <laughs> but uh, he's a good man. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, in my opinion, he is a good man and a man who does not intentionally mislead yeah. uh, everything he says uh, he backs up, he believes, and uh, he believes it is in line with Scripture. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting, particularly if you watch the video, and, and uh, as you mentioned, we'll put it in the show notes. He mentions it off the cuff, and it's clear from the way he mentions it that it's second or third source. Yeah. yeah. His familiarity with the movie is not great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it, I thought it was an excellent example of how easy it is to participate in this in this fake news thing that's so big in social media and mass media uh, today. In my opinion, his commentary is completely off base. I don't think there is any LGBT agenda being pushed here. But the way he presents it is is certainly suggestive that that it is definitely LGBT. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it is an excellent example of how easy it is to accidentally take part in perpetuating these falsehoods. Mm-hmm. Ed Stetzer, uh, about six months ago, read, wrote a, a really good article uh, called Being People in Truth in a World of Fake News that I'll reference in the show notes. Mm-hmm. For me, it called to mind two specific pieces of scripture that when we are participating in social media, when we are participating in face-to-face discussions, when we are Mm -hmm. representing Christ, which is every moment of the day and night, Mm -hmm. uh, that we need to keep in mind our vocation as Christians. Two scriptures specifically come to mind. First is Philippians 4, eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. And, you know, it reminds us that we need to focus on God and all the ways he is revealed. And he is revealed through what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Mm-hmm. And second is uh, Ephesians 5, 6 through 10 uh, speaks about the importance of truth. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And it's so easy for us as Christians to latch on to stuff that we believe. Like Ken Ham believes that there is a force out there in society that is pushing an LGBT agenda. And you and know what? Extent, he is, he is he's right. <laughs> absolutely correct. Exactly. Yeah. There is a force. I mean, it, it, it was so evident, you know, when the White House did that rainbow, mm-hmm. the rainbow lights, it just ached 
my heart. Mm -hmm. And I know that the majority of the folks who back the LGBT agenda, I know they believe they're doing the right thing, but I don't believe that they are embracing scripture. I don't believe they're embracing God. I don't believe that they're, they're, they're not right. Yeah. I don't think that, that helping somebody perpetuate a sinful lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle is, is helpful to them in the long run. It might make them feel self-righteous for being on the right side of history. That's what you always hear. You want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. But it doesn't help the individuals that are stuck in the, in sin to, to tell them that what they're doing is okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that to be honest, for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to leave it at that because we have harped on this enough times Mm -hmm. that our listeners know where we stand on these issues. It's not a matter of hate. I don't hate, uh, I don't hate the people. I don't, I hate the agenda, but I don't hate the people. And it's not fear either. It's not fear. We're we're not scared. We're not scared of homosexuals. We're not scared of transgender individuals. (laughs) What we're scared of is their eternity. The people not going where we belong, which is with God in eternity. Leaving that discussion, there's a really small aspect in this movie that I I just wanted to talk about briefly because I think that some people might miss it in the excitement of the entertaining game aspect of this movie. And that's the Vreek house. And I'm saying V-R-E-E-K. I kept thinking in the movie that they were calling it the Freak house. (laughs) I thought they were. (laughs) Yeah. But they were calling it the Vreek house. And uh, Alex Vreek... Um, at the very, very beginning of the movie, he is the, the kid that discovers the Jumanji game on the beach and he takes it home and it's a board game. And he's like, who plays board games? And he sets it aside and he plays a video game. And then the, the game changes itself into a video game so that he'll play it. And they gave you the date of this at the beginning of the movie is 1996. Mm-hmm. And so you you see the house from the exterior. You see lights in the windows when he sticks the game into play. And then the next time you see the house is this run down, almost haunted house. Yeah. It's like the monster house. (laughs) It's like the monster house. Yeah. And it's where uh, Spencer and fridge meet to exchange the, um, uh, we we should say that there's something wrong with cheating, right? Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Really? Is there? I I didn't notice Uh, because Spencer is, he's doing fridge's assignments. Yeah. Yeah, His, his, his homework assignments for him writing his papers and like and the like. So they exchange this contraband in front of the house and then they're chased away by this man coming out of the house and he's obviously grief struck. And and still. he makes still. Yeah, and he makes this comment um which th- there was a couple comments about the world in the movie. Um one was uh, Spencer's mother saying that the world is a terrible place, be terrified of everything. And then the next um, advice he gets is from this gentleman coming out of the freak house, and it's, the world swallows up kids like you. Mm. He, it's all he, he, that's really all he says to Spencer is, you know, the world swallows up kids like you. So this man has obviously um, not dealt with the disappearance of his son very well. And I, I know personally um, people who have lost children. I mean, you've lost a child. I didn't yep. even know that until we had a discussion recently where you brought it up. Mm-hmm. And some people let it destroy them. And some people are able to get past the grief and, and have it, I guess, work with them. It's not that they leave the grief. The grief never goes away. Right. But they're they're able to, I guess, move beyond the grief uh, to the point where they can continue to live their lives. For me, it, I, w- I want to say that for me, the Holy Spirit and faith are the only things that allowed my wife and I to move past the grief. Uh, I am sure there are unbelievers out there who have managed to resume some semblance of a normal life after yeah. this. And uh, I don't know what their secret is, mm-hmm. but I believe it is only through faith. The hope of Christ. <laughs> yeah, through uh, through faith and a belief in his promises that uh, we can truly put this experience where it belongs in our lives. Mm-hmm. Have, have the appropriate perspective on it. Yeah. And, you know, it, we mentioned it with, uh, with Stranger Things, too, because mm-hmm. it was a very similar situation where, you know, both with the, the sheriff and uh, Barb's parents, uh, they used both of those as, as plot points. One of the things that 
and and this isn't so much the how to deal with grief, um, but one of the verses that came to mind when I was thinking about this was our place in the family of Christ, because we have our earthly family and we have our uh, Christian family. And Christ himself said, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's Matthew 19, 29. And I think that that's that eternal perspective. It's like we, in in our earthly realm, we, we have a lot of pain. We have a lot of death and Christ urged his followers to leave behind that anything that would hinder the gospel in the world. And even if that meant leaving family behind, I don't know. I think that, that that's just kind of an urge for us to have the proper perspective on loss that we don't um, portray to the world, the kind of grief that you see uh, in Alex's father in this movie. Yeah. And, and I think they contrast it well because at the very end of the movie, when they get out of the game, they successfully meet, reach the goal of the game without losing all their lives. <laughs> Alex gets transported back to his proper time when he comes out of the game. Yeah. And, and so when they're walking home, the Vreek house is all decorated for Christmas and it looks beautiful and it's no longer the haunted house on the street. Yeah. It's clearly been maintained and is, mm-hmm. has gone from a, $20,000 house to a $2 million house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and they meet Alex, a grown-up Alex, which, on, as an aside, I've already mentioned this to a couple of people, it really bothers me that Colin Hanks did not get any credit for showing up as the older Alex at the at the end of this movie. As soon as I saw him, I was like, that's Colin Hanks. And then I kept looking in the credits and I never saw his name. And I'm like, well, how can he not be credited for that? But it, I think that they... they purposely contrasted in the movie i'm not exactly sure what point they were trying to make but the point i saw was is that you know just that reminder to us to deal with grief and with the proper perspective okay for the last uh element of discussion uh i really want to very quickly (laughs) (laughs) touch on uh the the mechanics behind the idea of the game jumanji and and uh, for this one, we're going to uh, consider both the original movie and this one. Mm-hmm. The reason I wanted to to talk about it was because the whole intelligence behind Jumanji, the game, is it's a given for the movie. It's something that we just have to accept mm-hmm. that there is a force controlling the. Uh, the presentation of this game in the first movie, you know, there's dice that they roll and, uh, there's even one scene where the dice come up, uh, with the wrong number and then it flips over inexplicably, you know, to the right number. And in, in this one, it's, uh, you have NPC characters who are brainless and just following a script, but there, there is an intelligence behind Jumanji because when you look at the people who have come out of the Jumanji experience, uh, none of them are any the worse for wear. Um, they are during the Jumanji experience for the viewer. Mm-hmm. In the first movie, you have Robin Williams' character uh, who has been living in the game for 30 years. Uh, and has gone all Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> and you see in it, they p- play to that a little bit in this movie, too, with the uh, Alex's avatar has been living in the house built uh, by Robin Williams' character. Yeah, but once they come out of, once they finish the game in the first movie and when they finish the game in the second movie, time resets. Mm-hmm. Alex's character in the second movie had been in there for 20 years. Uh, William's character in the first movie had been in there. I wanted, I think it was like 30 years. But when they come out of the game, they come out exactly where they went in. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the intelligence behind Jumanji is one that seeks the growth of the participants, mm-hmm. which I just find uh, very interesting. Wondering, you know, is the intelligence a good intelligence? Is it a good witch or is it a bad witch? (laughs) 
Well, I like the the slogan of the of the game is a game for those who seek to find a way to leave their world behind. And perhaps it's, you know, the the lesson is you shouldn't want to leave your world behind. Mm -hmm. And it's for those people to teach them not to have that. (laughs) That philosophy. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Uh, Because, you know, in in the first game uh, with the with um, Kirsten Dunst and, uh, and the boy. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, leaving the world behind. Um, but in this, the, uh, the tagline, you know, fed into the point, fed into the fact that they're actually pulled into the video game. Mm -hmm. So when Jumanji goes out of its way to tempt people to play, Mm -hmm. is it being good or is it being bad? I'm curious as to where are they going to take this? And you, your comment at the beginning about uh, about Jumanji actually being a book uh, has me doubly curious because I thought I knew there was a Jumanji book out there, but I thought it was a novelization of the movie, mm-hmm. not that the movie was a adapt- adaptation of the book. So now I I want to go and see about the background, see what the author, the original creator of the idea of Jumanji, had intended. But I am curious as to whether or not they, uh, whether or not they're going to bring this intelligence back and and delve delve into it further. Yeah, the, that's the rumor. I mean, the when I was reading the Wikipedia page, they they said somewhere in there, and I, it'd probably be hard to find it again. Uh, that if there was a sequel, oh, here it is. It says Jack Black, Dwayne Johnson, and Nick Jonas have discussed in interviews what a possible Jumanji three would be about including the possibility of the film exploring the origins of the titular game. Uh, Karen Gillan has also said that the alternate ending for the Welcome to the Jungle would have left the door open for another movie. So there was an alternate ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah. the guy who plays Young Fridge, I, I had found where he talked about that alternate ending. He said that there was a, an iteration of the Jumanji game where you know at the at the end of the actual movie they smash the the, game's console. the Atari console yeah. yeah but then they uh the alternate ending is then they start hearing drums again and suddenly the game shows up on all their phones <laughs> so uh For you the know the next generation of exactly of player, yeah well this was so, the next generation because Bethany kept wanting to know where her phone was through the whole <laughs> the whole game anyway it, like she had lost an appendage. <laughs> yes. Well, just aside the you know her whole setup of the selfie, you know, just up in the morning, and she spent all the time setting it up to make her. And look she good. had to have been like doing that for thirty minutes before <laughs> taking that picture. <laughs> I got I got to wait for the light to be just right. Yeah. Just up in the morning. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Well, your your concept of I guess whether it's good or evil, I don't know. I got the feeling that it's neither, but your point about it tempting people um it it doesn't means that it's definitely not god because it says that in scripture that god does not um, tempt anyone Mm -hmm. so it would be interesting to know where they're going with that but i i think i don't know that there's really necessarily a christian parallel or a good biblical parallel to draw from what geology is i i think it, it just is a a prop in a movie. It's a uh, a mechanic of the movie. Yeah. And probably I should just leave it at that. Yeah. I, I uh, would be interested in knowing if any peop- anyone who listens to this podcast uh, is familiar with the book, having read it, uh, I'd be I'd love some feedback on it. Yeah. It'd be interesting to hear what other people are thinking about that. And to that matter, um, you can contact us by commenting on the show notes for this episode, which at which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 77. Um, you can call us at 903-231-2221. can you email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. We'd really like for you to join our discussion group on Facebook, which will be linked in the show notes, or you can just look for Are You Just Watching on uh, Facebook and find, find us that way you have to ask to join, but we will let you in. Yep. We'd ask that you subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes. Um, you can follow myself on Twitter at E. Franklin. And I am on Twitter at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E, because there's other Tim Martins. Uh, yeah, well, there are a lot of Tim Martins. I actually have two Tim Martins that are friends on Facebook, so. 
we would also like to uh, thank our dearly loved listeners uh, for their support of Are You Just Watching? Special thanks goes to Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. We would really appreciate if you would support Are You Just Watching by going to patreon.com slash are you just watching and give us a very small monthly gift. Yeah, every every little bit helps. We, yes. incur, uh, we incur a couple not unreasonable expenses in the prop in the process of doing the podcast uh, doing the podcast exactly and it it would be nice to have a little help with it yeah yeah thank you so much and we hope that you have seen jumanji we hope that you've listened all the way to the end and let us know we're we're switching out our um intro and outro for the podcast and we're going to be eventually swapping out the branding on the podcast and on our facebook uh, properties so just you know give us feedback we'd love to hear what you think of the changes we're making and we uh, start a new year with are you just watching and i want to continue to thank tim for his uh willingness to spend the time co-hosting this um you're welcome <laughs> this podcast thank you for doing it thank you so much for listening i'm e franklin i'm tim martin and don't just watch Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.